0: Welcome to episode ninety four of the Sleeper and the Bus Podcast. I am your host, Jason Collette. Joined once again by Eno Saris this morning, uh, who I apparently have infected via TCPIP because he is now sick, correct? Yay! But it's not my fault, right?
1: <laughs> no, we're we're thousands of miles apart.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's the situation. Today's podcast, we called it the Keystone Podcast. Uh, we recorded a couple of days ago because we're talking about the Pirates, And the Phillies today. But before we get into those two teams, there is a little bit of breaking news this morning as we sit down to record, and that is Matt Latos had uh, knee surgery today on a uh, tear in his left meniscus. The Reds official Twitter account says that he will be out. uh, He'll resume his normal throwing program in ten to fourteen days it may sound like nothing this time in camp, but these guys are on specific schedules the day they hit camp. So the fact that he's having surgery on the second day, because the reds reported on the 13th, the fact that he's having surgery is going to set him back two weeks. Do you think it'll surprise anybody if he starts the season on a disabled list and misses two starts, two or three starts, you know?
1: No, uh, I mean, knees, not an arm. So at least, uh, that's good news. But, um, it's very important for delivery, and um you know I think that he'll be behind in spring so uh it it'll mean something uh, i'm not not sure what it'll mean exactly he's 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 upped his game a little bit since he he came to Cincinnati, which is surprising. I was a little bit worried about him leaving that park but um I feel like uh you gotta bump maybe bump his projections down to thirty three thirty uh thirty two starts uh, you can't really project that many pitchers into 35 starts anyway. So. Right.
0: Yeah, it used to be a lot of people made 36 starts. You go back and look. I was looking at this the other day because somebody had mentioned uh, about Jack McDowell winning the Cy Young, uh, even though he had allowed more hits and innings pitched and it wasn't top 10 in anything. You go back and look at the, those days, 37 starts, 10, 12 complete games. It's funny how the games migrated even just you know 15 to 20 years. Speaking of injuries, let's get right into the Phillies. Cole Hamels uh, reported the other day that he is suffering through bicep tendinitis uh, and is not going to be ready for opening day. Personally, that scares me because we know bicep tendinitis is what Alexio Gondo fought through last year and ended up going on the disabled list two different times around it, one for elbow, one for shoulder until he came back. This is a good news. I mean, there was already some concerns with Hamels coming into the season, coming off of last year. Now he's reporting bicep tendinitis. How does this affect where you're ranking Cole Hamels?
1: Um, that's a little bit more worrisome than a knee. I mean, it's in the arm. Um, he's been so healthy that, you know, the biggest project, projector, projector for pitcher injury is, is past injuries. So um, that that kind of cuts two ways on this one. It's like, well, in the past he hasn't been injured, but now he's injured. Does that mean he's going to be injured all year? Um, and, and, you know, our recent experience with Ogando says, and maybe he's going to have some issues this year. So, I mean, it's so hard. Pitcher injuries are so hard that, uh, if you want to bump him out of the top 12 for this, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with you.
0: Right, so let's look right now. His current ADP is 63. He's the 14th starting pitcher going off the board. He is ahead of the likes of Anibal Sanchez, Jordan Zimmerman, and the also injured, Hishashi Iwakuma. But uh, we know a little bit more about his injury because the dumbass went and, and hurt his finger into a batting cage net trying to reach for a, a ball that was thrown to him and, and strained a finger tendon, which concerns me because his primary pitch is a split-finger fastball, so I'm a little concerned about that. But that's where he's going. I mean, he's going 30 picks ahead of the likes of Michael Waka, Garrett Cole, James Shields. Personally, I'm taking at least James Shields over over uh, Cole Hamels now. And I may even go with Garrett Cole over Cole Hamels by now. What about you?
1: Yeah, uh, I think um, I, I – yeah, jeez. I would have taken Hamels ahead of all those guys before.
0: Yes, um, I would have too.
1: And, you know – not for nothing, um, you know, uh, Jeff Zimmerman picked up the Josh Cal- Calc injury zone uh, research, mm-hmm. um, which talked about late game inconsistencies with a release point, uh, zone percentage and velocity loss, uh, predicting injury in the future. And he's twice turned that, uh, that, that zone predictor thing on uh, James Shields and uh, been sort of worried about James Shields. And twice, you know, now James Shields has has just, you know, kept on pitching. Um, so I don't know if that means, you know, third time's a charm or whatever, but you know, most of these guys are older than Hamels, um, that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So at least James Shields is, I think I would take Cole over Hamels just because I love his arsenal. And I think, you know, we're going to talk about a little bit later, but I I think this is a good year for him. Uh, Waka is, is kind of missing a third pitch. Um, so, you know, I might, I mean, Waka. If Waka, if Waka, if everything turns out, you know, awesome for Waka career-wise, he'll be Cole Hamills. Yes. So it's kind of hard, or like a right-handed Cole Hamills. So it's kind of hard to take Waka over Hamills. But you know, he's younger, and, and and the trend has been for a major league team to pick younger over older, and uh, and I think that probably fantasy is a good good to follow that trend. So
0: I mean, you if know, we needed Waka- another reminder of the volatility of pitching and fantasy baseball. Here we are, the second day of of camp for most teams, and we have Justin Verlander, Cole Hamels, Sashi Iwakuma, and Matt Latos all delayed because of injury, and we're only two days into spring training. Yeah, it's like the opposite of the best shape of the life uh, narrative. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's pretty ugly, Uh, and I guess this Hamels news facilitated the next thing we're going to talk about, and that's A.J. Burnett signing with the Phillies uh 1 year 16 million dollars surprising because i don't even consider the phillies a playoff contender and this doesn't change that opinion at all but they went out and did this as a burnett i took burnett in the labor draft paul Spora and i were uh, did that draft together on tuesday night we took burnett later in that draft hoping that he would sign with the nationals or go back to pittsburgh instead he goes to a situation i don't care for he's going to a he's going from the you know, the great infield defense and positioning of the pirates to the Phillies, who don't do any of that. And he's going from a, a nice ballpark in PNC to a less favorable one in, in Citizens Bank. Now, Burnett is on record saying he hates the bleep and shift, as he told uh, the media people last year. So maybe that attracted him to go to Philadelphia. But I don't even like the pick we made in Labor as much now because I, this is not a good situation for Burnett. It's not, it doesn't really scaffold him for success in Philadelphia. Do you disagree with me?
1: Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've heard a lot of this uh, stuff. I've heard a lot of this about a- 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 AJ Burnett, and um, there's uh, I-, I disagree with the the negativity about it. I think I mean the 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 part I don't understand is from the players' perspective. I mean I don't think the Phillies are going anywhere, and supposedly he's mad that he didn't get started in Game Five in the playoffs, and and his response to that is to come back and play for a non-playoff team. So. I don't really understand that whole part, but in terms of why the Phillies would want him and why any team would want him and, and how well he's going to do this year, I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty positive about him. Um, and there's a couple things that I think um, that I think of when when people bring out the sort of things that um, that are uh, problems with him. First off, I don't think the shift uh, helped him in like a preternatural way. I don't think it helped him beyond you know, maybe a good defense behind him because his Babbitt over the last two years is basically 300. So I don't think that he got, you know, lucky on balls in play because of the shift or that they really uh, helped him a ton. Um, unless you think that his true talent, Babbitt right now, is 320 or something, which I don't I don't think there's a ton of evidence for that. Um, the other thing is uh, he changes as a pitcher uh, in Pittsburgh, and he gets to take that change with him. So, um you know, this is one thing that he told me when, when I interviewed him. Yeah, he said, yeah, you can look at me as a two-pitch pitcher, grip it and rip it. That's that's true. But also, uh, I'm older and I've lost velocity and I have changed. And, and the ways that he said he's changed is that he features the, the two-seamer more. And last year, he basically threw it more than his four-seamer. Um, and the other way that he's changed is he's added a, a second um, uh, variant to his knuckle curve, which is a, a basically a knuckle slider.
0: The FU grip
1: yeah so you know the the to to so now he's a four pitch pitcher where he's he used to be a two pitch pitcher i think that helps him with his platoon splits um his control's gotten better over time i think that he's just you know i don't know this might sound like a a truism, but i think he's just sort of begun to know himself better and 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 found the zone better um and then his this is not a truism. He, the increased use of the sinker has led to an almost elite uh, ground ball rate. He's been at 57% for the last two years. That that coincides in, uh, directly with uh, the time that he started using the two-seamer more than the four-seamer. Um, and he can thank the Pirates. He, he might be mad at the Pirates, but he should thank the Pirates staff uh, for emphasizing the two-seamer so much because that has led to a revival in his career. And I do think that will help him you know, suppress home runs a little bit in, in Citizens Bank. You know, I don't think he's going to go to the 17%, 12% um, situation that he had with the Yankees. I think he'll have a near league average home run rate, maybe a little bit higher than last year. It is it is a worse of a home park. But most of his projections have him um, with a higher home run rate, which means a little bit higher ERA. But nobody was projecting him into a 3-3 ERA this year anyway. I'm just saying – I think it's going to be more three five three six instead of three nine four, which is kind of how I, I gauge the negativity about him.
0: Concerns about him going from a very good pitch framer in Russell Martin to Carlos Fariz, who I uh, is considered more league average in that skill, if not slightly below average.
1: Well, there you go. That might be that might be attacking the sort of truism. <laughs> uh, maybe the control that he showed in Pittsburgh, although. Uh, how long was Martin in, in Pittsburgh? Just
0: last year. That's why when you look at the difference. So let's let's look at AJ Burnett 2012. Sure, he was adding the new pitch and all, but his strikeout rate, we we'll look at uh just going off his player page, his strikeout rate in 2012 was twenty one two. Last season twenty six one. Big jump. Without I mean if he's adding a two seamer run, that's not a strikeout pitch. So he added a new pitch, which is not a strikeout pitch but got better results. And that was one of the things I looked looked at. Okay, what was the difference besides adding a new pitch? And we have Russell Martin in play. So I wonder if if all three of those things, the ballpark, the infield defense, and who he's throwing to, this is where we disagree. I'm not happy about where A.J. Burnett landed as a fantasy owner.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking more about his walk rate. And I'm like, well, you know, the the, the guys that were were, – Framing his pitches in two, thousand twelve were actually you know really bad, uh, in Pittsburgh. Um, but yeah. it, it is interesting to think about his effect on a strikeout rate that that can lead to more called strikes. Um, you know if I can get stack corner up quick enough. But yeah, I just uh, I I guess I might own him a couple times this year. I'm not uh, I'm not as down on him. Um, I think that uh, you know you know i think catcher framing is important but i'm not sure i'm not sure that we're not um, uh, what's it called um,
0: overvaluing
1: yeah i mean we it, we what we don't really right, know right now is um, how important it is so i mean for example uh his strikeout swinging uh, went up last year uh, and i know that's a per plate appearance metric instead of a per pitch but Uh, you know, I'm now on stat corner right now looking at, it's not necessarily all a look strikes thing. So you can't really say it was all Martin if his, you know, his, his strike swing, his uh, strikeouts, swinging strikeouts went up. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't use this a lot. So I'm looking for looking, uh, looking called strikes. Where's called strikes? Don't know. You ever, you don't you ever use the site? This site?
0: Oh, I've used I've Stack used Corner before, but it's been a while since I've been there. I can tell you yeah, something I, else in a second. Yeah, I usually
1: use it for... Um, damn, what is called strikes? I usually use it for... I used to use it for Park uh, For park Effects. For park I've got show. called strikes.
0: Uh, 2012, 34.2%. 2013, 363 There's your extra 2%.
1: Oh, so his call strikes did go up? Yes. Okay. Well, that's, that might be Russell Martin right there. Um, yeah, and yeah, great. The extra 2% <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> Well, Well, I just think that he can survive a lot of this regression. I mean, he had a 3.5 ERA with an, eight, uh, with an 8 strikeout rate. So, you know, he can have a 3.6 ERA with an 8, eight per 9, uh, you know, above, slightly above league average strikeout rate, average uh, walk rate, and a league ground ball rate. I think all those things will still play. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not picking him up to be my ace or even my number two. So I think that, uh, maybe we finally disagree on a player. That's really interesting. There we go. I think
0: think that's three shows in a row. We've had at least one disagreement. Yeah. Which works out well. Uh, Miguel Gonzalez, the, the Cuban import. Obviously we have no prior history on the guy what do you expect from him? Somebody asked me in the, in the fan graph chat, I didn't get to the question today, but somebody's like, can he surprise everybody and pull up a, a three ERA? I'm like, I have no idea.
1: Yeah. I, I, and I tried to do some, uh, I try to do some, some research, um, you know, for this. And it, it really seems like the industry itself is, is split on him. Um, when you, when you describe his, his arsenal, um, you get a you get a pretty good, uh, you get a, a good report in set, in terms of he has a lot of pitches. He has a fastball, a curveball, a changeup, a forkball, and a cutter. That's a that's a that's a big uh, that's a big arsenal. But in terms of you know how good each one is, I mean you you've got guys come over from Japan um, that uh, you've had guys come over from Japan that weren't. Um, that had a lot of pitches, kitchen sink, and didn't it didn't turn out so well. So you really want to know about his out pitches, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I don't I don't know that uh, that uh, his out pitches are great, and um, so I, I, I can't I can't tell you. You know, I, it is kind of weird to have a changeup and a forkball that are about the same velocity because when I think of those two things, you know, I kind of almost think of them as interchangeable. Forkball right. has you know, downward movement, you know, is kind of somewhat like a splitter. When some people call a splitter a changeup, so you know, is that really two pitches? You know, Yu Darvish had a fork ball in in Japan when he came over here. He, he didn't. He didn't ever use it again. So some of these pitches will go away. And um, the people that say he's going to be a reliever say that I guess most of the pitches will go away, and he'll be a fastball curveball reliever. Um, but um, if the cutter is okay. Um, or if, the, if the, 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 one of those change-ups is good, then, then he has the Arsenal to be a, a major league starting pitcher. I mean, the, the, the velocity is going to be over 90 miles an hour, which is, you know, the, the kind, of kind of floor you want to see. And, uh, you know, he's, he's pitching in the National League, so he has a little bit of a boost.
0: So in a, do, you, do you consider him mixed league draftable with the lack of knowledge and history on him? No,
1: I don't think so. Okay. And, uh, and I'm, and I'm looking at, uh, his strikeouts per nine, uh, in, in Cuba. Uh, David Davenport's translation for, um, his strikeouts per nine is 6.5. In, uh, real stats, um, let me see, I have to find them again. In real stats, he struck out 5.9. Wow, he only struck out uh, six batters per nine last year uh, or in 2011 in the Cuban League. And then he was uh, suspended for two years. So, um, you know, that's not, those aren't great numbers, actually.
0: So, Uh, uh, based on that knowledge, the limited knowledge we do have of him, let's say we're in an NL auction together. Stop me when I've gone too high. $1, $2, $3, $4, $5. We're talking AL? nl I nl nl only yeah um if this is an nl auction and stop, stop. all right five, yeah, five,
1: the same. five is five is you you're buying in a possible
0: a starter you know okay we're I on the same page we're on the same page with him there too
1: i go over a dollar he's not gonna he, people are gonna pay, pay spend over a dollar to call him a dollar guy is useless that's that you know that he's not a true dollar guy. There's way more upside than a true dollar guy, so he's going to go over a dollar. So you have to set a ceiling that's that's above a dollar, and probably below five for me. But uh, that might mean I don't get him. I mean, people get rationally excited about about
0: um, the unknown. They do, and it's a little easier on the hitting side because we, you know, with Cespedes, with uh, Puig, we're seeing Jose Abreu being drafted aggressively. On this pitching side, complete. Uh, Again, I may be at three dollars. I'm I'm done. I don't even want to pay four dollars. Somebody else beats me at three. Go ahead, shift over to the bullpen and okay. Jonathan Papelbon. It, no bueno. This is he had a lot of red flags for me last year when he was pitching out out of the role. Strikeout rate down, whiff rate down, everything everything's trending in the wrong direction with him. And to give people, you know, listeners, a feel for it, strikeout rate dropped ten full percentage points last season, from thirty two point four to twenty two point four. Batting average and balls in play was roughly the same, so that didn't really play out. His batting average against still jumped thirty one points. His but his on base and his slugging that all remained the same. So he's still able, somewhat to limit his extra base hit damage, although he has given up six and eight home runs over the past two seasons out of that role. I've seen him, I keep seeing him fall in drafts. I avoid him because I just don't like what I see there. He and Rafael Soriano, if you were to ask me, two closes I think are going to lose their jobs before the all-star break, those are my two guys. Even with the contract that's involved, I'm really worried about those two. Jonathan Papelbon is currently going 15th in ADP. He's at 144. Rafael Soriano's 5 ahead of him, Ernesto Frieri and all of his issues are two picks ahead of him, and he's going ahead of Jansen, Grilly, C-Sheck, and Houston Street, Grant Balfour. Are we on the same page with Papelbon?
1: Uh yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, part of it is just his velocity loss across the board and and actually some kind of uh, like actual change in his pitches. Um you know, his uh, his four-seam and splitter. Uh, I'm gonna play Devil's Advocate in a second, but I, I agree with you in general. And so the 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 four-seam splitter kind of uh, both just went down a little bit, but the slider went from 80 miles an hour to 76, and in that kind of went to that's like kind of curve that's like a curve speed, but it has slider. Um, sure, it has slider motion. So it doesn 't have it, you know, the vertical the vertical break on it's still only about three inches. you know the curves are like six and more, so uh, you basically've got just a really slow slider and um, you know the the width percentage is still average, but you know normally, I think all those width percentages are probably higher for relievers uh, because they they usually have more velocity and stuff so now now, basically, the width percentages for a reliever look all average you know and You know, and and also it's never been explained why he had such a dramatic drop in one year. There was no talk of injury. There was no – it was just basically he's gotten older. The one thing that I will say in terms of uh, being devil's advocate is that right now he has a 92-mile-an-hour fastball and a really good 86-mile-an-hour splitter. Um, And he actually has a decent slider, so like a league average slider at least. So – you know, Annie has really good control. Does he have elite control? I don't know. But mm-hmm. Koji Uehara and uh, and Edwin Edward Mujica, uh, they don't even have the slider that that Papabon has, right? Um, and they've seen a lot of success. So if, if this stuff isn't hiding an injury, there is a possibility that Pabon finds a lower level of success. You know, and 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 finds a way to succeed with what he's got. Because he he does have, I don't know if he has elite command. Like, I don't know if he has plus, 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 plus command like Wehara, But he has elite command, I mean, if you, just, if you judge it through his, his, his walk rate. So, um, there's a chance that Babel Bond could, re, could close his whole career and just not be necessarily as good as he was at the beginning of his career. Um, but I am nervous about him, and I am not treating him like an elite reliever. And I'm letting him drop, and... And, and one last note about Soriano. Uh, people pointed out that he didn't actually go on the DL last year, and I said he did. Uh, but he did miss time, and they were talking about his elbow a lot. And there were times where he, he, was, he was shut down for his elbow. So uh, he didn't actually technically go on the DL, which is, might be important or might not. But I, I agree with you that these are two, two closers that I'm trying to avoid in general.
0: Yeah, and the good news is he's actually made it to camp. He is historically like one of the last guys to report, and word is he's already in camp. And this is Soriano, so you know, good news for him along that line. Let's uh, go to the go out to the outfield, and Dominic Brown, I think, is the guy that demands the most attention now here. You know, which Dominic? I believe we talked about this uh, before we actually started the team previews. Which Dominic Brown are we going to get in 2014? The guy that tore it up in the month of May who didn't walk but also hit everything out of the park, or are we going to have the Dominic Brown that we saw for the rest of the season, which was just a rather average outfielder?
1: Um, I, I don't want to uh, split up his data too much, especially with regards to power, because power uh, takes the biggest samples to take hold. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, last year was the first year he even got close to the reliability threshold for uh, isolated slugging. Um, because if you look at isolated power, it doesn't, um, it doesn't become stable until 500 uh, plus plate appearances. And he had 200, he had 70, 210, 212, and then last year he finally had a full year. So, um, and I, and I think, yes, like it came in some bursts, but, um, he, he's in a kind of park where it's a slightly a hitter's park and, um, and you know, he, he, uh, temperature is a big deal you know and in philadelphia early in the season it's 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 kind of cold and then you know at some point it gets warm maybe this year uh, the the power outburst is in june or july um but i think i feel confident if you give him you know a full season he didn't even quite get a full season last year that if you gave him a full season you can get 25 homers out of him five plus stolen bases 270 average you know i don't really know about the walk rate that has been up and down his whole career actually um, there've been years with plus walk rates on his record. Um, and then there've been years with minus walk rates. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're in a batting average league, I wouldn't worry too much. I think, uh, he's going to be, you know, a, a two seventy guy, 25 homers, five stolen bases. That's my back in the napkin. I don't, I don't really see, you know, I don't want to put it too much on the swing change. This is the kind of Uh, production we thought we could see out of him and then bill james at one point projected him into a 30 30 season early on so he's been exciting and we can't forget about the excitement when when a a player struggles a little bit at first
0: that seems rather 30 30 season seems rather aggressive i mean bill james does have some aggressive uh uh projections (laughs) from time to time that seems rather aggressive for a guy that has 13 career steals in 286 games yeah i mean it's 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 not
1: Bill James himself. It's the Bill James projections. And uh, we don't we don't house them on fan graphs
0: anymore. So. <laughs> I remember used to, I used to, with some of my friends, we'd have the, this, oh, what's our favorite Bill James projection? And, and every time we'd send trade offers to one another, those were always the ones we'd cite. We're like, oh, those are the best ones here. We'll put those in there because they put these you know, lofty numbers out there. And it was always like, wow, look at this. So, uh, yeah, that's what that's In goes. a way,
1: the in a way, Oliver is the new Bill James because Oliver gets really excited about young players.
0: Well, that and everything's a 600, right? Everybody's yeah. plate appearances start at 600.
1: I mean, that's it's an interesting way of doing things. I mean, it's, it's basically saying you figure out how often the guy's going to play. I'm just going to figure <laughs> out how good he's going to be if he could get 600 plate appearances. <laughs> <It's,
0: laughs>
1: I like to look at Oliver just to be like, if I'm excited about a player, I cannot be more excited about it than Oliver.
0: Yes, yes, that's fair enough. Uh, let's <laughs> go to the other side of the outfield. Look at Marlon Byrd. Marlon Bird comes to comes to Philadelphia after spending time with the Pirates and with the Mets last year. Career resurgence for him as he just decided to stop hitting with contact, something he's always done well, and decided he's going to grip it and rip it. And it worked for him because he parlayed it into a two-year $16 million deal. He are, you know comes to the comes to a better ballpark situation, but is an older player. Is this a sustainable model, or do players who take this approach eventually the league eventually catches up with them?
1: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little worried about him. Um, it, it, it could be one of those things that are adjusting. Like he adjusted to uh, the way uh, people were pitching him, which was probably you know, uh, oh, don't worry about his power, uh, stay in the zone, he's not going to walk, he's going to put it in play, and, you know, you can probably, you know, worst-case scenario, give up a single. So, um, last year, I think he he just attacked those pitches in the zone. It might mean that they throw uh, more pitches outside the zone, and uh, Bird hasn't shown the ability to take a walk in his career um, in a large sample. I mean, his career walk rate is 2% lower than than, than uh, league average. All of his projections are for even worse than that. Um, so especially in on-base percentage leagues, uh, I would really stay away from him. In batting average leagues, you, you don't really care about that, but you do care about it a little bit because if he's swinging and missing at everything and uh, and they start throwing things outside the zone, I think the batting average will go down.
0: That's my concern – Especially with the age, I mean, we we can see these guys every now and then. We'll go ahead and do something big like that, but with the approach, I'm just concerned with the age. If the bat speed starts going, as we know it does at this age, then this could quickly fall apart. the The ballpark should help mask that, but I'm not. Ex- I'm not drafting. I'll take the under on Marlon Byrd hitting 20 home runs this year.
1: Um, sure. I mean, he's only done it twice in his career, and he's uh. 30,
0: 36, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. 36. Turn 36 at
0: the end of the season.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that's an easy one to do. I think it would be ballsier maybe to go the other way, but I don't see really a reason to, to right, really. How,
0: how about over yeah. under at 15? Right. I mean, I'm still, I think I'm still taking the under. It's going to be obviously closer, but I may even still take the under there because this is a, a rather large. I'm just gonna I'm gonna forego contact. The last three seasons, strikeout rate has gone from 16 to 20 to 25. As he just continued, and yes, it was a smaller sample size of 2012, but you don't need a huge sample size to stabilize uh, strikeouts, and that's where we're at with him.
1: Yeah, and I hate to bring it up because we we are usually agnostic about it, but there is a PED history with him, and you know he has this big breakout year it has to be brought up. I mean, it's, it's a thing that happened before he had a, he had a little bit of a mini breakout um, and then he tested positive. So, uh, you know, from his perspective, he says, I've made fun of him some, and uh, I might burn in hell for it because if it's true, if it's what he says is true, then I'm a bad person, but yes. he has moobs. He is a uh, man boobs. And, um and, he says that's a condition he's had and that the thing he tested positive for was something he took to try to have smaller man boobs. But, you know, man boobs are a thing that happen when you you know, take testosterone and you take PEDs, and that's why they ban the thing that makes your, your man boobs smaller. So uh, if he just is one of these guys, and it's pretty rare, uh, but it's, a, it's an actual condition, then I'm a bad person. But uh, you know, for that to coincide with some of his better late career power years in baseball, you know, at this time with the testing system, I'm I'm skeptical.
0: Ditto, absolutely agree. So uh, moving in infield, Cody Ash at third base, somebody that Paul and I took in labor, somebody that I just recently traded in my local league because I had some depth and I, I really wanted to make. In fact, I threw him into a deal to get Chase Utley. Along those lines. But Ash, when you look at his projections, sometimes people are looking at him as, as a potential double-double guy for home runs and stolen bases, despite the inexperience. How do you see – is Cody Ash somebody you would target as a late-game corner infield in a standard 12-team mixed league?
1: Yeah, I think he's very interesting. Um, and uh, I've traded for him twice in dynasty leagues, mostly because he was acquirable. Um the thing that's so hard in Dynasty Leagues is if a, if a player is good, um, nobody wants to give him up. You know, like a, a young, a young like a Sano or, you know, like an actual prospect, right. you have to overpay for them. So the nice thing about uh, Cody Ash is, uh, or Ashley, I don't know how you say it, is that um, he's got a, a big problem, which is Michael Franco. Um, the, the Phillies have a great, big, powerful, um, and he doesn't have a bad, uh, uh, strikeout rate. So he doesn't really have a problem other than maybe his defense will push him off third. But they have this great, more, like, bigger prospect behind him in Michael Franco. And ever, and he's, he's really close too. So basically, Cody Ash has, you know, a couple months, um, and then he's gone or moved to second in backup or outfield or something. So, uh, I, I, think that he might have the athleticism to succeed somewhere else. Um, so his career won't be over if Michael Franco comes over and takes third, but you know, his mixed league, uh, upside will, will be out the door for a while. Uh, what I like about him is that I think there's a possibility he has a really good hit tool. And even though he, his, uh, strikeout rates have gone up as he's gone up in the big leagues, uh, in the minor leagues, which is a little bit of an issue, uh, his batting averages have been great. His balls in play, uh, have been good. So I have a feeling he's a line drive guy. Uh, and I'm personally projecting him for like two seventy-five, uh, 15 and 10 in a full season. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, for what I paid to get him, I'm, I'm happy with that. And, uh, and he's acquirable so you know he's a he's an interesting sleeper because of his cost I think
0: yeah I didn't want to give him away I misspoke when I said I traded him for Utley I traded him in a larger a nine-player trade I didn't want to give him away because I had as a, as a free rookie keeper so I could promote him after the season started and put him into the spot but when I looked at when I was able to get in return uh, Jordan Zimmerman Jonathan Neese francisco liriano aj ellis and then topper writes on kenley jansen for ashy craig Meziraco and jorge de la rosa i was not going to let ash break down that trade i just had to make the deal but i do agree with it. i think there's some i think I, I disagree a little bit in that i if i had a dollar left in, or two left and he was still on the board in the 12 team mixed league i'd take a chance uh, with him just because of the counting court accounting uh, category uh potential but I do think yeah. he's interesting to watch, especially with, with Franco in the picture. Although some people think Franco may end up moving over to first base to replace Howard once they can get rid of Howard's Albatross contract. Uh, mm. so we'll see how much longer they, they go with that. So we'll see where all that goes. But I think he's intriguing to watch. If you're in a mixed league and you have a bench, a 12-team mixed league with a 5-6-man bench, like uh, in, in labor, we have a 15, it's a 15 team league with a six man bench. And Ashley was our second reserve pick. So we fell to the 25th round in that one. So definitely yeah, keep an I, eye I, on there.
1: I, I like him there. I like him as a corner infielder, especially um, if you're unsure a little bit about your stolen base. Um, you know, your stolen bases on your team, or team speed. He's an interesting guy that you could replace you know, like a two eighty twenty guy somewhere with him, like a utility or, or corner infield, and replace them with him and not lose too much power, but add you know a couple stolen bases. Um, so I, you know, I, I did target him, but they were in eighteen teamers. I got him in an eighteen teamer and a twenty teamer. Um, but I'm happy that I have him now, and he's he's definitely. They, they they're trying to like you know make it sound like he's he's not going to be handed the position. Says Ruben Amaro, but you know. I don't think Michael Franco's ready, and everybody else that could play third for them is worse. So mm-hmm. I think he's going to get a legit two months trial, and that's about all you can ask for a guy who's not, you know, a top fifty prospect. Um, and and you know the, the the hype won't be there. So that that'll be kind of fun.
0: Yeah, uh, let's look at the, the final look at with the Phillies, the veterans. Out of Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley, Ryan Howard, and Carlos Ruiz, of those four, which one do you feel most comfortable rostering this year?
1: Oh, it's most definitely Utley in terms of production. But, uh, you know, in terms of staying on the field, I'm almost equally worried about all of them. The one thing that uh, doesn't get brought up a lot with Utley is that his knee condition is degenerative. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a bit of a bone-on-bone situation. And um, yeah, what you what you can do is work the knee out around it, and that's what he's done. He's, he's become a bit of a workout warrior, and he's he's doing his best to to survive with it. But at some point, it's the I think it's the knee that's going to make him retire, honestly. So I don't know when that's going to be. And obviously, he's a great player who's been great while he's been in, and he had a really nice year last year. And so he's very uh, tempting, but. You look at his uh, plate appearance totals for the last four years, 511, 454, 362, 531. I don't think that you can expect I – I think the projections are happy on his uh, plate appearances. Why would he now, after four years uh, and turning uh, 35, or just turning 35, why would he now have a five-year high in plate appearances? Um, so I, I, would, I would put him down for 500 plate appearances – uh, 280 average, 15 homers, five stolen bases.
0: I mean, for me, I think anything over 450 to me is gravy. I I don't see it getting any higher than that. I made a trade for I traded Nate Shearholtz and uh, Jacob Turner to get Chase Utley in my league, and I didn't have a and I also believe it or not, <coughs> quote unquote threw in Lucas Giolito because I had no room to keep. I had too many rookies and I couldn't keep them. I wanted somebody. I kept Archie Bradley, Eddie Butler. I wanted the guys at the high level. Uh. Polanco and Hamilton were the four I could keep that's why Giolito got the bump on that so 450 plate appearances to me is gravy and I think they'll be productive 450 it's just after that every every plate appearance beyond that I'm just going to be happy with it I I know going into it what to expect out of the guy but in an NL only league at that position I, I was willing to make that risk in a mixed league you know, in a mixed league, I don't know if I'm willing to pay more than $12 for any of those Phillies, especially up the middle with Rollins and his decline in his position, and maybe more so with Utley, but I'm not, definitely not doing it at catcher. I don't want to do it with Ryan Howard. I don't want the cost of the home runs and his inability, uh, his splits issues. So that's kind of where I sit with him.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, okay, so understanding your trade better than – I like the trade, um, and I do – like Utley in certain situations, but I think that a mixed leaguer um, targeting Utley should have at least an eye on what they're going to do in the in the in the uh, in the case that it doesn't work out. And I think that they should also possibly even have a bench uh, middle infielder um, to to be prepared. Um, I mean, it's the kind of thing where Utley will be so cheap. Um, I think in most leagues where he will be a value. And what you can do is pick Utley to be your starter, but then uh pick someone uh for your bench that's a young guy with upside at at, at second or short. Um maybe a Bogarts or something.
0: Yeah. So Yeah, definitely definitely plan ahead. If you take Utley, you need to make sure you try to get the best available middle infield guy on your bench if, if when you do have a bench, just to make sure you have that versatility available to you. That way, when he hits the disabled, it's not if because you know it happens every year at some point. You have an option, and you're not forced to make some dumb trade with somebody who's got you over a barrel because you know you look at your lineup. and You're like I, I, I don't have one. I used to play in a league uh, that you had to, you could not raw, you could not keep at hurt guys in your in your roster. You have to replace them. And if that mean if there was nobody on the free agent list, you had to make a deal for him. And in a deep NL-only league, it, it sucked, for, uh, to be honest with you. It really did suck, but that's how they got you on those kind of things. So don't leave yourself in that position. Let's jump up uh, over down the uh, interstate and talk about the Pirates, and we'll start on the offensive side of this thing overall. I think we can both agree that Andrew McCutcheon's a top-five overall fantasy player this year, correct? Um, Sure. Okay, not that, let's look at either side of them. Starling Marte and Jose Tabata. Those are the projected starters at the positions, uh, at the corner outfield positions. Let's start with the more talented of the two and Starling Marte. Marte, I think I've seen projections with him around low teens, home runs, high 30s to low 40s, stolen bases. I've taken Marte in drafts. I believe I took him in the fifth round of one of the drafts I was in. Where are you sitting with Starling Marte? You know,
1: I was, uh, I was a little bit more negative on him until um, I, w- I was doing some research on pop-up percentage. Uh, and pop-up percentage, it, which is not infield fly ball percentage, uh, it's a confusing thing, which I'm, I'm going to probably lobby Appleman to change. But infield fly ball percentage has something to do with fly ball percentage. So in order to get pop-up percentage, you have to take infield fly ball percentage and multiply it by fly ball percentage. Uh, and that's that's your true pop-up rate. That's your pop-ups per balls in play. Mm-hmm. Pop-ups per balls in play um, are correlated year to year better than uh, ground ball and fly ball uh, rates. So basically, um, basically it, it looks like a skill. And uh, where people like Anderson Simmons, Dan Ugla, uh, Brian, and Brian Dozier, those guys have a, a lack of that skill. There's a there's a real chance that uh, Marte has that skill not to pop up. He had a three percent infield fly ball rate last year. I'm using the wrong stat, but I, I in pop up percentage, he showed up as, as a top fiver himself. Okay, and uh, and that's a great way to have a high batting average on balls in play. And which is, you look at his balls in play. His Babbitt is 363. You want to regress that, and then you are suddenly talk about him as a 260 hitter or something. Uh, I think that his pop-up rate might be why his projections uh, all have him with a 340 Babbitt or better, plus his speed, uh, plus he hits a lot of grounders. So I think his swing plane uh, will do some wonders for his flaws, which are admittedly there. He strikes out too much. He doesn't walk enough. There's a little bit of a grip-it-and-rip-it going on there. But I think that his swing plane uh, will help him into good batting averages on balls in play. And therefore, uh, decent batting averages and the power and speed I think are, are legit.
0: I was rather aggressive with Marte. I'm in an NFBC mock draft with a, a lot of people, a, a private thing. I'm only allowed to talk about my team. That was part of the conditions. But I took Marte 38th overall in the middle of the third round. I have the eighth pick in this draft, and I took Chris Davis and Freddie Freeman first and second, Marte in the third, only because when I, I wanted to add, after adding Davis and Freeman, I didn't want to get three rounds into the draft and not have speed. And I went with the best speed source available that was still on the table. Alex Rios was already gone. Carlos Gomez was obviously already gone at this point. So I went with Marte and Chu had gone the pick before me. So I went with Marte there and I didn't have a problem doing that. So even if it was a few rounds, his ADP is currently 57. He's gone as high as 40 in the NFBC. So I took him ahead of that. It wouldn't be the first time I've taken somebody over their ADP, but that's kind of where I view him. And, Tabata is on the other side. I like Tabata because of the opportunity. His ADP is way, way down there for a guy that could end up with a lot of plate appearances. If you look at the projections, I think they're rather – aren't they rather favorable for him getting a lot of that playing time out there? Yeah, but I don't know
1: why. I mean, from the from the uh, conversations that the, the, the team officials are having publicly, it sounds like he's the starter against lefties.
0: So he's on the uh, yeah on the short side, which they're going to give Travis Snyder more time out there.
1: I mean, I don't know why Travis Snyder looks broken. I don't yes. know uh, that doesn't seem to be a good idea. But they did bring in Jeff Decker and Andrew Lambeau, and uh, ostensibly one like both of them could uh, take the big side of the platoons at first and in the outfield. Um, so there are between Snyder, Decker, and Lambo, there are. Three players, or you know, three players for those two spots, they could they could factor in. Uh, I, I think it's largely irrelevant because I think Polanco is really close, and so I'm. I, I had a chance to trade for DeBata and I almost did in a dynasty league just mm-hmm. because he was available and cheap. I just don't think that it's a good idea because Polanco is. I think Polanco is going to be up this year. I think he might be one of those things that they they get. I think they probably want to keep it until Ju- June or July to keep him out of Super Two, um, but if if they kind of need a spark plug or Tabata and, and whoever else is out there is just looking you know, nasty, I think they'll pick him, pick him up early. I mean, Polanco doesn't have any issues when you look across his line. He walks right. a lot. He doesn't strike out a lot. He has power. He has speed. His defense is good. There's no real reason to keep him down anymore. He's played in the high minors. There's, there's no real reason other than arbitration clock to keep him down. So Tabata – you know, maybe in a deep league at the very end because you think he'll be useful for a couple months, but I, I just, I'm worried.
0: I mean, Steamer's pretty high, pretty high on him. When you look at the, the number, the, the power's just not there. Eight home runs, but 13 stolen bases, hitting 275, scoring 67 times. I have him for a dollar in an only league, so I like him there. Uh, but I agree, I also have Polanco on my farm, so I'm cool with it. If they want to call it Polanco, fine. Then I can just put Marte on my bench. So I'm in that position, but I think... For now, Marte, when you compare his AD, where he's sitting ADP-wise, I think there's a little bit of value there if you're in an NL game. I don't think he's mixed league material except in the reserves, simply because that playing time can be yanked right from underneath them. And I look at a guy like Robbie Grossman, who's going about 20 picks ahead of him, who I would rather take, because we know Grossman's going to have playing time. That's already given. He's going to be starting out in the outfield, so that works. But I think there's some uh, decent profit there uh, for those for those guys there. Moving in to the infield, Pedro Alvarez, a guy that people were rather happy with last year when they owned him from a power perspective because he really hit for power, did nice. People had him cheap. I don't want to a league. I was able, I ended up trading with him, uh, had him for $4 and was able to trade for him when somebody needed help. And I ended up flipping him in the offseason to go get more help. But how many home runs does Pedro Alvarez have to hit for you to be comfortable with the batting average he could put up?
1: I'm I'm okay with what what he's done in the past. I mean, he, he has he has positive value, and, and and like I said with the before with the um, with the league league average batting average down to like 250 or whatever. Um, you know, his type of player is is less hurtful uh-huh. than his, in the past. I mean, even the league average fantasy batting average is down to like 260. So, um, you know, I, I think that he's a little bit more valuable than he's been in the past.
0: Yeah, we look at it, 244, 233 average, but it's not like he's doing anything that differently. He gets it's shifted a little bit, but his strikeout rate's been 30% three straight, uh, four straight seasons now at the major league level. His walk rate's pretty much been the same, walked a, a tad bit less last year. And it, 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 at a time when power's at a premium, he's had back to back 30 plus home run seasons. I'm not running away from him, and I think uh, I, I hate to. All leagues are local. I traded that Pedro Alvarez and got a Dan Heron and Alan Craig. It was a $4 Alvarez. I moved him for $25 worth of players, but I like both of those guys. When I looked at my team, I already had some low batting average guys, so I didn't want to add Alvarez on top of that, which is one of the reasons why I made that move. But I'm not running away from Alvarez because of the batting average. When the power, you go up and look, and, and even third base is a deep position, but the power, I think, offsets for me for the same reason we talked – episodes ago about chris carter i'm not running away from chris carter either because when you look if you want to count about look at guys at the corner they're going to hit 30, 25 plus home runs in a season you don't need more than two hands to do that and alvarez and carter are both in that list
1: yeah it's true i have him uh if he if he hits any better than uh let's see here if he hits any better than 244 and uh Basically, I have him as a ten dollar player. If he gets any better than two forty-three and twenty-nine homers, he's a ten dollar player. So, you know, those are and if he doesn't, he's still you know a five to ten dollar player. So I, I definitely, yeah, it's a little bit harder for me because in real life, I'm a little bit down on him just because he doesn't add a lot of walks. No. And his defense is really inconsistent. I mean, he can make some spectacular plays, but he also fails to make routine plays a lot. So there's a little bit of that disconnect. But sometimes you can use that to your advantage because the more that people read Fangraphs, the more their analysis of fantasy gets colored by, um, you know, real-life concerns. And, you know, Alvarez's walk rate in a batting average league is not not a, a super concern. And his defense, though, it might be a concern. I don't think he's a first baseman yet. So, um, you know, he's a, he kind of he can be a sneaky value if, if you're in a league of saberheads.
0: True point. What about to the guy who was, uh, to his to uh, his left, Jordy Mercer, with shortstop? Is he going to hit enough to be a mixed league consideration? Are we just talking about a guy that's NL only here.
1: Uh, you know, it's funny Mercer and Ash. I those are two guys that I picked up in my uh, in my twenty team or the one you used to you used to be in it. Mm-hmm. I think um and i just again the reason i picked him up was he was attainable uh in fact i think i got him off of the free agent wire and then decided to keep him because uh because i do think um the steamer project projection is low i think that he might uh take the starting shortstop job and kind of run with it the question of course is his glove um and uh, he's probably he's not as good as Barmy. so you can't ever even if you're really excited about him, you can't really project him into 600 plate appearances or whatever, because um, you know he's gonna lose he's gonna lose time at the end of games, mm-hmm. um, you know where they bring in Barmy's. Uh he's gonna lose he's gonna lose some playing time, maybe when the team thinks they really need defense for certain this or that. So uh, I think the fans giving him 500 plate appearances, 280 batting average uh 11 home with seven stolen bases you know sometimes the fans can be a little aggressive uh i might take a, a step back on the batting average uh, because he doesn't really have a lot of power and he strikes out about league average um and he doesn't he doesn't really have like a, a Marte like possible um skill so in terms of uh in terms of the bad ball mix so I'm going to I'm going to say that it, do I think he can hit 265 with 10 homers and five stolen bases? Yes.
0: I don't know if I'm ready to take a mixed league. I don't know if there's just enough offense there yet when I look at his minor league profile. Doesn't yeah. strike out a lot. It, it, it depends. You look at his strikeout rates. They're they're a little better than league average. Walks are okay, so he gets on base. Just doesn't have enough pop. Doesn't run either. Yeah. Uh you know, right now that's just not enough to excite me, even as a dollar player in a mixed league, in an NL league, NL only league. I may end up rostering him, you know, five bucks and see what happens there. But doesn't it terribly excite me. But at the same time, when your competition is Clint Barmas, then you're probably going to get a lot of the playing time. And in an NL only league, when you're just trying to compile stats, I don't think this is a bad option to do that with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, their emphasis on defense is the only thing that makes me worried. Because his glove is definitely not as nice as Barmes, but you know, Barmes is his bat is so fringe that I think that you know it could get to the point where he's hitting like 196, and they're just like we can't we can't handle this. So uh, I think that even if Mercer doesn't take the job in spring right away, there's a good chance that uh, Mercer is a valuable middle infield backup. So. That's where I'd put him, about middle infield backup in deep leagues.
0: Let's go to the mound and look at Francisco Liriano. A lot of people have him in the regression club, and understandably so because he's coming off a career and historic season against left-handed batters, completely rendered them useless all season, better than Randy Johnson ever did. That's going to be tough to sustain. I don't care if you added the the new two-seamer and got more movement, whatever Ray Searge did to him, it's going to be – Practically impossible for him to maintain that level of dominance against lefties for a second straight year. We've seen even Randy Johnson the following year took a step back in that regard. That said, I keep seeing him. I keep seeing Liriano fall late in drafts in the labor, which I've mentioned a couple of times. He fell roughly 45 picks past his ADP. And we went to take him. Paul and I, were gonna. we didn't even need pitching. We're like, you know, if he's going to be down at this point, we're just going to go ahead and take him and deal with the depth later. And in the NFBC draft that is discussed, he ended up going. He just went, and I believe we're in the 11th round. So that's where he went there. His ADP is currently 168. He's fallen as low as 230 in drafts. 37th pitcher off the board behind Tony Singrani, Hung Jin Ru, Andrew Kashner. I took Tony Singrani. I had him Larry myself earlier this morning. What about you? Well, I think he,
1: I would definitely take the guys that are taking ahead of him ahead of him. But if he's dropping 45 uh, points past his ADP, I think he becomes a value again. The problem with him is that there's a double edged sword of regression coming uh, probably. And uh, one is that uh, he only once through more innings than he did last year. So health is a concern for him always. Um, and, I'm not surprised. I mean, I I may talk about it too much, but I I definitely believe the slider is a a bit of an injury risk, especially when you throw it a ton. Mm -hmm. And last year he threw the slider almost as much as he threw his fastball. Um, So, I mean, the difference was 100 pitches, uh, which is very rare. So he throws a a slider a ton. He almost throws backwards. I do think his changeup is good enough. I mean, his changeup gets 18% whiffs. Uh, That's above average. I think that's good enough to do to to keep lefties at bay, uh, plus the home park, plus the new league. So I I don't think there's necessarily as much of a um, of a regression in terms of uh, performance. I think he's always had this type of arm and this type of ability. I just I mean, you know, the steamer giving him 192 innings that seems a lot. Fans giving him 179 innings that seems a lot. I'm keeping in one league. Uh, where I, I tried to shop him for a second. I was like, why am I shopping him? Everyone knows what I'm trying to do. I'm not even going to shop him. I'm just going to keep him and and hope for 150 innings and, and, and be happy with it.
0: He went in the, the, the final pick of the 15th round in labor. Uh, he went just after Paul and I had the 14th pick. We took Chris Johnson saying we'll take Liriano if he swings back through us. And Jeff Erickson ended up taking Liriano. He said, had we taken Liriano, he would have taken Chris Johnson. So it worked out well for us. We, had, we ended up taking Burnett when he got back to us. So Liriano went after the likes of Matt Garza, uh, Nate Jones, Tommy Hunter, Johnny Cueto, Holt, Sabathia, Masterson. Those were the pitchers that were picked ahead of him in this draft. And after him was Burnett, Zach Wheeler, Tyson Ross, Taiwan Walker, who's got shoulder issues now, and and Lincecum and Archer.
1: Yeah, take him ahead of those guys. I mean, all those guys have uh, performance issues and innings issues just like him, Mm -hmm. where I'm not as worried about Liriano's performance issues. I'm more worried about the innings issue. So, I mean, Archer uh, is an exciting arm, but I still think he's sort of missing a pitch. I mean, his pitch, his changeup is nowhere near as good as Liriano's. Um, so even if you think that Archer's slider and fastball combination can be almost as good as Liriano's, you know, he's missing the changeup. Um, plus he pitches in the American league. That makes it harder. Um, you know, who are the other guys? Walker, uh, never really shown it. He hasn't really shown it in the big leagues yet. Plus hurt, uh, Masterson missing the third pitch. Um, I, although I might take Masterson over Liriano just because the bulk will be there. Yes. And, you know, Masterson's now done it a couple times. I also based- enjoyed
0: Tony's article on, on the site about Masterson yesterday. Exactly. that was good yeah. stuff. Uh, no, Garrett
1: Cole played the platoon splits, I think, with with control. Yeah, but you know, the control's not there every year for Masterson either. So right, uh, it, it
0: does. It can come and go. Uh, what about Garrett Cole? Garrett Cole's ADP is currently 19th uh, overall. In the pitch, the starting pitchers, 95th overall. He's being drafted ahead of guys with established track records like James Shields, Gio Gonzalez, Matt Cain, Homer Bailey, Matt Latos, Mike Miner, Alex Cobb, Chris Medlin. Those are all guys behind him. Somehow, Garrett Cole is being drafted behind Michael Waka. I don't understand that in a, at all. I think I just recency bias to me. Um, I am very excited to see what, what Garrett Cole can do over a full season. That said... I have a tough time taking him ahead of James Shields. So,
1: of that whole list of players that you that you that you just listed, the only names I paused on were Shields and Gonzalez. Um, they're both veterans that have shown the ability to do what we hope Cole can do, mm-hmm. and uh, they haven't really given us uh, injury concerns yet. So, um, you know, that's I think a legitimate uh, point of discussion right there. I think it. I think it can come down to to preference. And last year I had such a good run in, even in redraft leagues of just taking um, young pitchers that I think I would probably just take Cole and, and uh, figure that he is less likely to get injured just because of age. Um, You know, I wrote a I wrote a piece once called every pitch is bad for you. Every pitch, every year adds 1% to your DL chance. Every, every pitch adds a little bit more. So obviously Gio and James have, have shown, have thrown a lot more pitches um but michael behind michael walker i'm with you it doesn't make any sense to me i love cole i love cole so much i love him on a per pitch level um i love that his organization made him throw uh the two seamer and four seamer and focus on control uh i think that probably was a really good thing for his mechanics and long term health uh made his fastball and his two seamer really legit pitches that are are great for ground balls and and uh and, and he pitches off the four seam but his changeup has above-average whiffs. Uh, his slider has above-average whiffs, and his curve has uh, like elite whiffs. I mean, he gets 20% whiffs on his curveball. That's 11% normally. So, and the curveball gets tons of grounders. So he has three legit pitches. Michael Waka has a really nice changeup, and I love it. But yes, <laughs> three legit pitches over a changeup. I mean, four legit pitches. Five. I mean, his four seam is good too. It's like. It, it, there's literally nothing, when I look at his per-pitch thing, there's literally nothing that I see missing.
0: It, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty situation. I'm really excited to see what he's going to do over the full course of the season. Uh, and the, the fact that he got to the major leagues quickly, we didn't have to wait too long for him. But let's look at the rest of the staff. Charlie Morton, Jeff Locke, Wandy Rodriguez, Edison Volquez, this looks like what they're going to go to battle with. Any of these guys' options in mixed leagues?
1: Um, you know, a healthy Wandy is, is not, you know, is not something you need to run away from. I, I think that uh, it's more of a probably waiver wire, uh, thing because of his health and the and the, the thing that he's dealing with could be a total precursor to Tommy John. So it's, it's hard to, uh, advocate for, uh, you know, using draft day resources on him. hmm um, but uh, anything deeper than mixed, I'm definitely looking at Wandy, and I think even in the mixed league, I think he'll be useful. Um, so yeah, Wandy, I think is the interesting name there. Um, but uh, health is a reason to to to, to say no. Charlie Morton, um, you know, post Tommy John surgery was 93-94, before it was ninety ninety one, and just that velocity alone uh, helped him avoid home runs uh, from lefties mostly because he's a sinker slider guy. And, um, you know, if he retains some of that velocity, if I hear that Charlie Morton is hitting 92, 93 in spring training, then that means he can probably be 93, 94 in the, in the early going. That You do get a little half mile an hour, mile an hour boost um, between spring training and, and, and the regular season.
0: Yeah, I mean, his uh, strikeout rate went; it was a career high 17.2% last year. That's still below the league average for starting pitcher but not that much below the league average because he keeps he throws so many so many sinkers and sliders as you said doesn't he keeps the ball in the park doesn't give up home runs his on-base percentage and slugging percentage for opponents last year were only 5 points apart 339 obp 344 slug that's really really tough to find and the home run to fly ball ratio was 9% so it wasn't like it was completely suppressed you know if if i've got a staff if I've built a staff of strikeout artists, let's say I've got, you know, guys with eight plus K nine, if I've got Bumgarden, if I've got Bailey, if I ended up that in that one league, right? Kershaw and Darvish on that staff, I'm willing to take a chance on Morton at the end of the, at the end of the draft in a mixed league for a buck or two. I know I'm gonna get hurt in the strikeouts, but the way that defense still stacks up and he can help me in ratios and ERA. I I think I'm going to do that.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think I think Morton and Wandy are both interesting last pitchers in mixed leagues. Um, uh, Morton a little bit more for his ground ball rate. Uh, Wandy uh, has had uh, good seasons in the past, and, and you'd just be hoping for a bit of a return to grace. He's uh, he's had better strikeout days than most. Um, almost all of his strikeout years have been better than Morton's, so uh, you'd be getting a little bit more strikeout from him. Um, but uh, you know, Wandy's more of a health risk, and Morton is a risk to go back to 90 miles an hour and start giving up those home runs again. So, um, yeah, you know, if somebody said to me that they thought it was it was Liriano or Cole or Bust, I wouldn't say they were completely wrong. But um, I'll probably find some you know leagues with deeper benches where Wandy and Morton figure in.
0: I disagree on Wandy. Just I, I don't like what I saw. But more, I'll go Morton, you go you go, uh, Wandia, and we'll call that. Bullpen, final talk. Jason Grilly went with the final pick of the 10th round in labor, and Mark Melanson was taken in the 18th round by a different team. Uh, he went fifth pick of the 18th round to Steve Gardner, USA Today, and, and uh, Jeff Erickson took Grilley in the 10th. Last last season, Grilley was great before he got hurt. Melanson was fantastic when he picked up uh, in the role. How do you see this situation playing out? And are you willing, are you willing to pay twelve-team mixed league? Or are you willing to pay more than twelve dollars for either one of these guys right now?
1: No, no, I, uh, I think they're they're too good. The both of them are too good, um, and it gives the Pirates too many options to to invest in either one too much. So. Um, I do think that I would uh, reduce my um, my possible bid on Grilly based on uh, the fact that Melanson has shown that he can close and it's really good. Plus, there, uh, a couple things: the, the the injury that Grilly had. Um, you know, they were talking Tommy John at one point. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think it was a sprain, and a sprain is a tear. Uh, it's just a question of severity. So uh, there's something going on in there, and he could he could worsen it. It could end up being Tommy John this year. Also, he has a very weird history where he stopped um, he stopped starting a long time ago, um, and even though he got a little boost from going from uh, from starting to relieving, uh, he started to lose that velocity, um, and then at 2012. He, he moves to the Pirates and turns 36 and puts on two, two miles per hour of gas. So um, there's something I don't understand about his uh, velocity history. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there was some, you know, uh, emphasis on, on the fastball in, in the Pirate organization that could have helped him, but, you know, there, there is a little bit of a, a velocity resurgence there for no good reason. So, um, as much as I love Greeley, and I was uh, totally into him before uh, he cost closer prices, now that he costs cl- closer prices, I'm a little bit more excited by Melanson.
0: Yeah, I mean, Grilly is 17th closer off the board, 146 ADP. He's going, and I don't agree with this, going ahead of the likes of C-Sheck, Balfour, uh, Parnell. Even, even with Parnell's situation, at least he has the job, and that's what – that's what scares me away from Grilly. I, I know in that draft we needed a closer. It was one of these things where we looked at closer, and I was like, you know, I don't want to take that. I don't, I don't want to take that risk of having a guy that's that's got that kind of insurance policy behind him. Because we looked at closer and we said, you know what, we're going to punt it down the road a little. We took Axford three rounds later. We took Axford in eleventh, twelfth, in the end of the thirteenth round is when we ended up taking Axford uh, in this league. So that's kind of where we sat uh, with that. We just looked at it, situations and so said, you know what? No, we're going to let that go, and we went Austin Jackson, and we end up getting Axford three rounds later. I like Axford better than Grilly, but even with Cody Allen in play, I'm just worried about the injury. It wasn't fully cleaned up last year, and that excellent insurance policy behind him. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, final thoughts for the listeners on the uh, Pirates or the Phillies?
1: Uh, You know, it might be frustrating to be a Pirate fan right now. They didn't spend a lot of money this offseason, and it seems like there's still holes at first and left, and, you know, there's now a missing starting pitcher. But um, for all of that, there's a really amazing uh, level of talent on the field right now. And, you know, with uh, Polanco and Jameson Tyon um, and uh, Kingham, um, who I think uh, is a little bit more interesting than a lot of prospect rankings have him. Um, Nick Kingham is a name to remember. He might come up this year. He might be uh, undervalued in, in your farm team draft for your prospectors. Uh, so think about Nick Kingham. And then also, to, to a lesser extent, Jordy Mercer. These are guys that can be expected to play better next year um, and th- this year than last year. These are guys that can come in and, and, and really help at, at tough positions. And
0: um, and if he doesn't, Alan Hansen is in the fold eventually here as well,
1: right? It, whether that ends up being at second or at short or in a trade piece or whatever, that, that you know, I saw a little bit of Hanson in the in the fall league. Uh, I wasn't sure he could be a shortstop, but there were a lot of tools. So um, there's there, you know, they did a really good job in Pittsburgh of not going not not going beyond their bounds. You know, adding a little bit here or there, trading for a small piece of the deadline, getting guys that were cheap but not ever giving up a big piece holding on to their core assets and and now they're gonna they're gonna bear, gonna bear fruit
0: not crazy about the first base situation with gabby sanchez and the whole, the whole situation over there i'd still like to see them make that uh address that situation via trade uh i, I don't want to see them give up a pick to sign Kedris morales I, I don't think that dogs always have to shake i don't think that's a nice play for them but I would like to see them get that situation addressed sooner rather than later. I think that's kind of this team can still be very competitive in, in the Central. We mentioned we like the Cardinals as a, as a solid team, but behind them, it's all up in the air. So let's see let's see if they address that situation here in camp. Otherwise, that's that's where it's going to be. Uh, next next show will be uh, next Tuesday, and we'll we will be discussing uh, two teams with a lot of fantasy relevance: the Rangers and the Rays are our next two teams up. So if you have any questions about the Rangers and the Rays, Please get them in on the comments. Uh thanks to you guys who continue to review and, and post uh comments about the episode on iTunes and on the uh on the site for us. We're taking that feedback and applying it to the shows. If you don't think we are, let us know about that and uh any final comments for listeners. No, nope, thanks for listening. Cool. Alright, thanks guys. Have a good Valentine's Day uh and pitchers and catchers are reporting, that's a great thing. I'm going to a college baseball game tonight and maybe going to Astros camp Sunday. All right. Lucky. Luck, the good thing about living in Florida, I'm, the, the last spring that I'm here, I'm going to make the most of it.
1: Well, t- tweet out a picture of Jeff and Amador for everybody.
0: I'll, I'll have to step back to get in the wide-angle lens. But, yeah, I'll get there. <laughs> I, actually, he won't be there until – because it's only pitchers and catchers. But Amador should be there, I think, Monday. I'm going to go back later in the week uh, to go get full workouts.
1: No, I can't wait for baseball, man.